If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey folks, welcome to our first ever Throwback Thursday, that is right. From every Thursday onwards, we will be going into our vault and extracting an episode that we really like, that we wanted to share with you. Now, this week, I have chosen to go with our very first episode because I understand that a lot of our listeners now probably haven't went back that far. There's over 300 episodes in our feed, so I totally get it if you haven't went back to the start, but I want to go back to a much simpler time. I want to go back to... December the 15th, 2017, in order to kind of show you what this was all about way back at the start. Back then, we had a third host, David, who we missed dearly, and shows were a lot shorter, like a lot, a lot shorter. The the due diligence that we usually do, no, we just wasn't there. We just didn't do it. This was the embryonic stage of the podcast, if you will. We didn't know what it was going to become. We didn't know it was going to go on this long. So here's a little blast from the past for you. Hope you really enjoy it. And yeah, just let us know what you think. This is Unsung Episode 1, and this is about The Remote Part by Idlewild. You're listening to The Unsung Podcast, where we talk about classic albums and decide if they deserve that distinction. And we also talk about some unsung classics in the hopes of bringing them to a new audience. And at the end of it all, we let you decide if you are right or wrong. This is The Unsung Podcast. talk about a classic album today which i believe was two who chose this album i don't know i think it kind of came naturally because we were trying to work out albums that were slightly current maybe had something going on with them and this one seemed to just sort of stand out in terms of shows had been recently announced it's an anniversary etc would you want to tell us what it is it's uh the remote part by idlewild I'm your host, Mark Fraser, also known as The Creator, I guess. And I'm joined by two fabulous gentlemen, who are also my co-hosts. Hello. To my left <laughs> is Chris Cusack. Uh, I first knew of him playing in Hey Enemy. Dead or American? No, I, was, I, I didn't know you in Dead or American. I then discovered that you'd played in Dead or American, uh, who I'd liked. 
but I was too young to ever go and see you. Uh, and then he's always been in bands, and then uh, he's uh, been the booker and promoter in Block, a lovely independent music venue in Glasgow for a good few years now. Mm-hmm. And um, he's rocking a slight moustache right now as well. It's, yes. Yeah. Is that yeah. actually true? That's, that's yeah, yeah. You're making me blush. I didn't <laughs> think I could grow one of those. <laughs> I've been trying for so long. Oh, wow. The hard work has paid off. Um, well, to my right is the really very generous David Weaver. <laughs> um, it's not a moustache. It's not. I'm not lying. Uh, I, I, I don't think it qualifies. Um, but, uh, yeah, David, I've known you for 10 years, maybe slightly more. David is a Ross County fan. Um, that is true. Wow. And if you haven't heard of Ross County, they are apparently a football team. <laughs> apparently. <laughs> uh, I think we'll find that we've beaten you on several occasions. Mm. I think we'll have to refer to the dictionary for the word <laughs> several. But anyway, um, David's a Ross County fan. He dabbles in music. Uh, he was one of the founders of Detour, which um, is a fairly notorious and kind of like re- respected if not slightly feared <laughs> uh, promotions organisation that used to put things on in like little guerrilla locations around Glasgow and do broadcasts and he's many other things besides but since he missed so many things out about me I'm just going to leave it at that That's fine by me The Remote Part by Idlewild quite a well-loved album from a well-loved band in Scotland certainly Yeah It 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 brought out mixed emotions I would say At the time or now or both When When it was mentioned <laughs> in, the, in the blind panic that was Are we going to do this? But we need to start somewhere Yeah Do the remote part That's that's like got an anniversary Coming up or something like that And it's vaguely relevant I was like alright cool But it did I mean I have to Like my stomach flipped And then flipped back again <laughs> So who's going to make the case For why this album should be there? In the canon of classic records? <sighs> I, I, I don't know if that I, I'm, I'm not willing to put My money on the table Well I'll put it out there that I got it for my 16th birthday. My best friend bought it for me. CD in hand out of uh, HMV in Inverness. And the album before, 100 Broken Windows, had probably been my most played album, most played physical CD over the previous two years. I just absolutely adored that album. It was the one that sat in my CD player and woke me up every morning as my alarm. Um... I don't know, there was just something about it that was so raw but still so melodic. Um, It just mixed sort of punky noise with a sort of indie sensibility. See, you're now talking about Andrew Rogan. Yeah, I know, but (laughs) I I have a feeling that an issue with remote part is that it's not 100 broken windows. Well, yeah, I think think we should just... That's the elephant in the room here. I would imagine that a lot lot of people, of the hordes of people that are listening to this... um, Many are probably immediately slamming their hands on the table um, uh, because we've spoken about Remote Part and not Under Broken Windows, which, you know, for my money is clearly the better album. But I guess we have to kind of work backwards to get to that realisation and give it a, a fair crack. Um, because That's it, the thing. Should we, give, should we give this album a fair crack, though? I mean, Under Broken Windows is, is the superior record. Is this a more important record for Idlewild or for Scottish music, though? <laughs> I think Idlewild regard it as a more important record for themselves. I mean, you can see the fact that they're doing, you know, they're they're doing two ABC shows in December for it, and you know, playing it in full, and they're doing London as well. They they didn't, you know, give a shit about Hundred Broken Windows when it passed, even though 
it's sort of more critically lauded. I think you could see when this album came out, the budgets were bigger, you know, in terms of music videos, recording, everything. And they just expected it to take them to a sort of higher level, certainly in America. I think that was an, a big aim for them, to try and crack a market, as it were. I just remember when it came out, REM were being mentioned all the time. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. And I think they supported REM maybe in the run-up to this album, maybe just after it. But you know those those first two singles, American English and You Held the World in Your Arms, you could tell that they sat down and maybe sort of committed it to be, let's make this as anthemic as possible, let's make this a big American radio, radio-friendly radio unit shifter, basically. Yeah. Whereas, you know, before On 100 Broken Windows, it was just, you know, the sound of a band enjoying themselves, I think. Well, I think Roddy said, though, that for this album, as I understand it from interviews, he said this was the album where it felt like the band was writing best as a unit. And this is before Bob Fairfall left for... Well, there's varying accounts of why Bob left. Somebody <laughs> was trying to throttle Ruddy. Um, I just would put it down to the fact that I think Bob was having some issues with his uh, personal habits at the time. But um, there's probably a little bit of truth in both. But uh, Ruddy, from the stuff I read about this, you know, looking into it a bit, it seems like he really... Felt they came together very well in this, and I, I will say I do think some of the songwriting in this album is amazing. I think I it's probably got the best song, arguably, and "Modern Way of Letting Go" as well. "Modern Way of Letting Go" is the one that my band covered when I was I remember sixteen, that story, actually. Um, and when this album came out, it was me, my, you know, my girlfriend and I at the time. It was our album. We listened to it all the time. It was yours. It was yeah. <laughs> we we owned it. I never it even asked together. <laughs> <laughs> it's just on lease now. <laughs> Um, but no, it was like it was a big album for me. I listened to it. I did. I w- it wasn't a letdown for me at the time. I, you know, I didn't go. Oh, this is nothing compared to Andrew Broken Windows. I got immediately into it. Listened to it a lot. Still got yeah. It's still got some great songs. I really like. Tell me ten words. I know there's something about that track. I've always loved. There's just like a a refrain, like the the second part of the chorus. If you want to go, yeah, um, that deep. Then it's just like that always gets me. And then, like the last track, I I pretty much just ripped off for our old band's best song because it was a third of that song. I don't know, or something. Yeah, it was kind of that big anthemic thing. Um, I just yeah. I kind of I kind of feel with this album like, built a rod for their own backs. If you pardon the use of the word rod, given <laughs> that the word rod is so like ubiquitous in any reference to either world, but um, it did make a rod for their own backs with the quality of Hundred Broken Windows. I mean, it was, it was so good. But I think one of the surprises of this album was that it did stand up following that, but it maybe stood up for the wrong reasons, and that like it kind of gave people a lot of what they wanted coming off the back of 100 Broken Windows whereas 100 Broken Windows was a fair departure from Hope's Important yeah. and it was also quite unexpected and there was a, a real kind of boldness to it in that sense this was like okay what do people want from our next album let's give them that and even maybe illustrating that kind of renewed motivation to be like oh maybe we can actually start to make real dents and charts and stuff with these these songs the production I find in this album is a really big problem. Like, I, I, I find it very sticky and kind of overdone and overcooked. And it, it works really well in places, but 
you know, I think a modern way of letting go again is the best example of the production really working because it's a power rock song. It's just power pop, power rock, and it's really nice and thick and dense and just cuts it's great to DJ and stuff like that. But some of the other tracks in the album are just really overcooked. Um and I I, I think that's kinda telling of, of where their minds were at. They were kinda looking at radio and kinda looking at commercial success and tie-ins and stuff. I mean, maybe they didn't necessarily expect that would happen, but it it just doesn't seem like you know, you don't record an album in that fashion if you want it to stay underground or if you're just if you're indifferent to its ability to be played on FM radio. You know, that that whole Uber compression thing is it's really, you know, you've got one eye on the radio when you're doing that. Maybe yeah. it's, maybe it's just me in terms of production, but <coughs> I mean it's David Inga that's Oh, he did some classics. He did some classics, but Lodestar. He's he's got a sound though. In uh, maybe it's just because I'm a big Manix fan, but I hear a lot of Manix esque sounds on this record, but in a really annoying way. Yeah, maybe that's why I don't like. Which I think <laughs> comes from from his production, particularly the swathes of strings in some of the songs, the weird keyboard parts and all that, which is just pure pure Manix. I mean, what is it like? Uh, I'm trying to think of the song. Century after century, he's got a weird production. I never wanted as well. It sounds like a Manix B side. Yeah, that's I like that's that's got a really yeah, it's got the really sort of toned down vocals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And the real guitar sounds at the start and all I, that. That's so. um, that was one of the first things that Alan Stewart wrote with him as well. Was it? Yeah, yeah. Like Alan, that I think that's when he's maybe his first credit with the band uh, from the point where he joined. Yeah. Mm. I think it's this one. I actually think like I was I was going to say like I. This is one of those albums that on my iPod I've basically whittled it down to just five tunes over the years. It's like I just like eschewed all the rest of the, the, the stuff. and I, the, So the tunes I was left with were Modern Way, Never Wanted, I'm What I'm Not, Out of Routine, which I think is an excellent song, by the way. I think Out of Routine, again, super saturated production, really Weezer-esque slabs of guitar kind of production in Century After Century, which I thought was kind of, kind of quite nice. I think... Um, I think it's Century that's got a really nice little piano break in the middle and it just ha- just happens once and it's this little kind of piano section that was just quite mm. quite different. But, yeah, I mean... I I'm what I am not. I think I was. That's the one that stood out to me. Re-listening to it, most like their earlier album sounded most like earlier. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's it got could, the energy to it. It could have been on like because Hope, like modern important. way, although it's you know fast and punky and rocky, it's it's like a bigger, more obvious riff. Yeah, absolutely. it doesn't necessarily sound like earlier. I'd well, no, I'm I, what I am not is kind of got that slight intricacy. You kind of get the feeling that that could either have been kicking about for ages and they just never re- like worked it down. Or that that was just coming from the same place as the hope is not important sort of stuff. It's, it's it is quite it's quite naive, but it's quite nice because of that. I think. I mean, if I never hear you held the world and American English again, I'm totally fine with that. I mean, I I, I really I think maybe the first time I heard you heard, heard held the world because because you just loved the previous album and you're like, what's the next thing they do? And then that comes out and you're like, oh, cool, this is this is. Well, good. that's the thing. They were built to be big, obvious yeah. songs. But and they are big oh. obvious songs, but they don't have a lot of depth to them. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it definitely sags after a while. Yeah, American English, I just never liked. I really never liked that song, um, at all. It was just so, 
so deliberate. And it's I think catchy though. Is it? Sticks in your head for days. Man. Oh man, no. Not, not, not even necessarily in a good way either. I tell you, oh, <laughs> that, that, when he does that word contract, it just it's like, yeah. oh, nails on a blackboard. That little high note. Oh, I find a lot of the lead guitars on this record particularly irritating. You do? On the right, everything that's on the right channel is just too loud and just annoying <laughs> as fuck for me. What if you've got your headphones on the wrong way? Is that still true? Oh, I've never tried it because <laughs> I like sure, them to be on the right way. I'm pretty sure I've got my headphones on the wrong way right now. <laughs> <laughs> and I might be like, man, the stuff on the right's great. What's he talking about? It's the left, it's terrible. Um, but I, I, see, I, I, we, um, actually, I've recorded with Rod Jones and I really, really particularly like Rod. I think he's really good and I really like his guitar stuff in general and, you know, the kind of minimalist, that kind of melding of like art school and punk rock thing. I, I really do like that and I think. I noticed in some of the interviews that Roddy had done about this, he felt that this was the album that Rod really started to kind of be more confident in his playing. I mean, still, it's still quite simple, but it's it's pretty effective. I know I don't sound like I'm really like I am. To- I'm not even on the fence of this album. I do think this is a good album. I think it's a, but I think it's an overstated album. Put it that way. Like I think it's really good in fact in places, like I said, but also really contrived in other places. And I. <laughs> I think it it bowed ominously for what followed. Yeah. For me, regarding the band, um, I think they, whilst still having notable highlights, continued down a path of like this overcompressed commercial pursuit, rather than this. Maybe that's inevitable, but rather than this kind of like energized young outfit that were playing like a hundred and twenty shows a year or whatever it was they were playing in Edinburgh when they, you know, pre-Captain kind of era. I mean, they were they were a really hard working band when they were. I, don't know, I remember being at university and you just seeing the stuff everywhere. So I mean, they they definitely put the work in, you know. But it, it just seemed like the priority shifted. I mean, when you're touring supporting Pearl Jam, they did that American tour supporting Pearl Jam. I suppose yeah. you can't but help have the priority shift. Yeah, that's when you get there, isn't it? I guess that's kind of the. That's kind of why you make records like this to get those kind of. <laughs> Imagine them frozen, like all in midair, doing like a jumping high five. Guys, we made it! <laughs> and then, um, I remember speaking to Alan about that. Actually, he was talking about the final night of the tour, going on stage with Pearl Jam. I think it was like some like rocking in the free world or something they played, and it was just like Alan was like the guys from Either World are on stage with Pearl Jam in like you know like Boston or or somebody somewhere preposterously huge. And like he was just like they're playing to like tens of thousands of people on stage with Pearl Jam and this like encore. And so it was just one of the strangest experiences. Like and well, I mean, understandably so. Yeah, like, yeah that would be strange. <laughs> it would be strange. Yep, it like, would be strange. Quite strange. <laughs> um, I'd like. Uh, by the way, I just. Uh, couple of tangents so you were talking about David Ringer mm. the guy that produced this obviously so he'd done the Mannix yeah right I, I'm not a Mannix fan um, I am however yeah isn't it I am um, however a huge fan I think it's a 1995 album Flood by Headswim <laughs> it's this like English Headswim is that the one with Tourniquet on it right no wait a minute just hold, hold on <laughs> you can see the look in my eyes they did do Tourniquet, yeah. but Headsome's first album was this album called Flood, which I heard on the Bruce Dickinson show, we were talking about this last week, um, and it was really heavy, like really heavy, it was just some sort of like really dark, nasty version of grunge, but like faster and really much meaner, and a ring had produced it, and it's, it's a really good album, 
It's you know a little bit cheesy in places, but it's super, super exciting for like a teenager to find their own band that's not super mainstream but ticks all the boxes that like Nirvana and Smashing Pumpkins were ticking for me at that point and was even heavier. Um, Basically, a hipster bush. <laughs> but sorry, I'm just like, taking the wind at myself. <laughs> 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 no, they were not a hipster bush because I I was into bush at the time, so I didn't need a hipster bush. <laughs> I was into sixteen stone. Sixteen stone was hipster bush, okay. Um, and but anyway, um, no, they were m- much heavier than that, like much heavier than that at the time. Like they they just like. Anyway, the point being, um, that's a really great album. <laughs> this is not about Headswim, but Headswim later decided. I think they they, uh, they went on to do a kind of Radiohead esque. Radiohead Light in their second album, which is oh. the tourniquet thing and the stuff you're talking about, where you know, like JG72 and all that were coming out, and they went for this. Three kind Colors of, Red. Oh, and like even Three Colors Red were a bit more power pop than JG72 and that kind of jangly. It had more yeah, in common with the Wild Hearts, yeah, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. But um, I so like, but David Ringa and a band called Lodestar as well, who were sort of like a little bit like um, Sonifereek, but like a bit more. Yeah, that's an metal. album we could do. That is. Sona Freak. <laughs> <laughs> so is Lodestar by Lodestar, man. What a, what a record. Um, or like, like I remember listening to all this stuff at the same time. Remember that guy Rico from Glasgow? Yeah. Rico, yeah. yeah. Did he not tour with Nine Inch Nails, maybe? <laughs> Something like that, yeah. I mean, he was definitely in that kind of bracket. He's pretty, he's probably working in a chip shop somewhere. Probably. We could probably give him a shout. I don't think there's anything wrong with David Ringer's production. I just think there's something strange about it. It feels so facile on this record. I feel it that it's, lend anything. it's quite inconsistent. Yeah, like, totally, yeah. You know, you've got your big acoustic song, Live in a Hiding Place, and then the song after that is just so saturated with, you know, compression and distortion, and it's really fizzy. And Yeah, I don't know. It's like every song is the most it could be of that sound. Mm. And it just it makes the album, it doesn't have a particularly nice, I don't know, sonic flow. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and don't get me wrong, I, I don't think the guitar parts that are on the right channel, which are really loud, are, are bad. <laughs> I just, they just feel like they're out there on the, they are, they're definitely out there on their own and it just kind of, I think it's a frequency thing. Yeah. It's just so, so much treble. The whole thing's got so much fucking treble on it, man. Yeah. It makes me go, ah. You see, David Ringer did a lot of the Idlewild stuff after that though. He, he, I think he did at least the next two albums. Funnily enough, because he, he did one <coughs> song on 100 Broken Windows, didn't he? Did he? Yeah. Um, uh, idea track maybe th- There was one was song in 100 Broken Windows Was done by someone else But I thought it was like Somebody like Scott Litt Or somebody like that oh, maybe Bob Weston did it talking. Bob Weston did the The standalone track In uh, oh, 100 Broken right. Windows oh, yeah. Stephen Street's on this Without record as well me. Stephen Street produces one Track 9 I believe Yeah Tell Me 10 Words Which is really remarkable Didn't, turned it, didn't turn it like a blur song Because <laughs> that's all he ever did Do you know what else really? Dave Ringer produced He produced Confide in Me by Kylie Minogue Absolute belter <laughs> Truly, I've fucking yeah, love yeah, that song. Remember, remember her indie period. Yeah, I had I had this conversation recently with it was Ben from Blank Mass. He didn't know that Kylie had had an indie period. I was like, Jesus, man! Absolutely. They, I mean, <laughs> she was supposed to be on um, Little Baby Nothing by the Manix, <laughs> but it never transpired. So they end up getting some like ex porn star to do the vocal on it, and it's like that's that's what it is to this day. But she was supposed. They to, are so edgy. She was supposed to do it, but she did actually do it. I think she later did a collaboration with the Manix. I think you're yeah, right, actually, just, yeah. It was a B-side. I remember being nonplussed. Yeah. <laughs> you know what else David Ringer produced? David Ringer produced the most recent Proclaimers record. Is that a lot different from the most recent <laughs> Idlewild record? <laughs> you could ask that question. 
Uh, but no, no, he, he did the the proclaimer recently. So you know, I mean, to to that end as well, I think there's the inclusion. Is it Scottish fiction? Edwin Edwin Morgan. Edwin Morgan is my favourite poet, poet ever. Hence that tattoo. All oh, right, okay. That hurt. <laughs> I fucking love Edwin Morgan, man. <laughs> um, well, the inclusion of him though at the end, for me, marked that point where Roddy, who was obviously the focal point of the band in a lot of ways, but. Where Roddy went from being that kind of like yelpy, adrenalised kind of like punk rock Damon Albarney thing to seeing himself as more of this like sensitive kind of woolen jumper wearing uh, folky poet. Folky poet, yeah, yeah. And I think like, um, and this is just not a slight in Roddy, but I found that persona a little bit off-putting as it went on. I, I liked his lyrics prior to that. Um, you know, and I think even dropping the big clunky kind of Gertrude Stein references and stuff, it was it was nice because it was so unusual. I felt it got a little bit self-referential and a little bit self-aware. Maybe from that point on, it became like a little bit too like, you know. Yeah, lyrically, I think remote part. Yeah, self-aware is the. I think I I always go back to, funnily enough, this album came out at the same time I was doing Higher English, and I was studying Othello. Mm-hmm. And classic line in Othello, Iago goes, "I am not what I am," mm. and uh, and then at the same time I was listening to Idwell and I am what I am not, and I was like, "Well, that's really clever." And then looking back at it now, I was like, yeah, "That's really clever for high school English." So to me, I, I don't know, the whole album lyrically feels a bit. I think high it's dated, just yeah, a little bit badly. I would go one further. I say there's a lot of nonsense. I don't know. I feel like I am what I am. Not come on, as a lyric, I can't feel that man. I just, I'm not vibing with that at all. Yeah, no. I mean that that's that's a little bit like kind of cloy in it. But I mean at the same time, I mean I mean you contract. Come on, we're going to start like dissecting lyrics and albums. There's there's not going to be many survivors. I mean there's some yeah, really. No, I, I totally agree with that. But on the other hand, it comes back to what you're saying about Ed Morgan. You don't put in probably the greatest Scots <laughs> poet like. Certainly, post World War Two, you don't drag him onto your record and not think that you're kind of approaching that league in some way. No, I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that. I, I kind of feel like the poetry, kind of uh, the 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 what's the word? Um, <clears throat> the grand designs of the kind of like f- sort of gentle philosopher punk rock poet thing kind of went for me from that point onwards I felt and when Roddy went into his solo career and you know and even like the names of the solo stuff you know I felt that 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 uh, persona that he was putting out there for me kind of started from this point onwards I don't think I, I mean the inner sleeve 100 broken windows said support your local poet yeah so he'd always it, was like, it's, feel- it seemed more tongue in cheek though it seemed like there was a little bit of believing your own hype though from that point forward I sound like I'm slamming the guy I don't mean to I just mean the persona that was constructed in the band seemed more definite from from after this album as a result of that I didn't feel this album was overly guilty of that yeah some of the lyrics are a little bit naive but they were still kind of young guys and they were you know yeah. and they were they were playing kind of like catchy arty punky music you know I would I don't want to shit on them too hard for that. I get what you're saying, but I feel like maybe that's like a an un you know an unsustainable standard to to, to put on guys in their very early twenties. You I know, know? I, I just think maybe it's because I'm a huge Edward Morgan fan. I, I just kind of think you can't just pull you can't pull those two things. I can't pull those two things together in my head. I don't. I can't. I love. I no doubt he loved them, but they can influence from that. It's nowhere even near it. Damn, I'm, I'm total Philistine. I'm 
Det var dem som var Edward Morgan. Men stod av att det är Edward Morgan story att det är man får sig inte att Not many podcasts will have that line in them. My fourth year of uni, I did. When Edward Morgan died, he donated all of his like all of his manuscripts and all, everything to Glasgow Uni Library. Mm-hmm. And I did a project on looking at it, looking at stuff, and I actually seen the handwritten version of of Scottish fiction, and it was really cool. And then I later found out that pretty much everything he wrote down was like the final draft because he redrafted it so much in his head before it got to the paper. So by the time he actually put it down on paper, it was like that was it. So. It was kind of weird to see all these amazing poems that I love, just like without any edits, and kind of go, "How could he do that? <laughs> I can't. Nobody else, nobody else does that." <laughs> yeah, I mean that's. And he had lots of stuff, man. Like I seen maps. He drawn maps on the backs of pamphlets for how to get to the bus stop to a certain part in town and all that. It was, it was an odd, really <laughs> odd, man. That guy, that guy was amazing though. I could recommend you so much by him. Do you have any albums? Yeah, I, I <laughs> funnily enough, when I was doing Othello in higher English, I was also doing Edward really Morgan. Yeah, mm-hmm. he was our poet that we, you know, that we did. So, yeah, those three things. <laughs> I just thought Othello, yeah, Idlewild, and Edward Morgan. I just thought this is going to be <laughs> something you drop on every episode. It's just like back when I was younger and I was doing Othello. <laughs> <laughs> Before anybody accuses me of being the bimbo of the bunch. <laughs> Everything comes back to Othello. We should call the podcast that. Everything comes back to Othello. <laughs> ah, that's probably one I already called that, man. Yeah. Um, um, you know that uh, you held the world was in uh, FIFA 2003? Yes, I remember playing it and hearing it and that's when I first heard Ida Ad- World. Like, <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, yeah, that was legit wow, when I first okay. heard Wow, Amazing. That's, that, that is pretty interesting. You're Scottish. And ostensibly have ears and are into music in some form, and you it took you till two thousand and three playing FIFA. I was I was sixteen at the time. I was just getting into music, and I was mostly listening to new metal. So at that time, what else stood out from FIFA two thousand and three? Might I ask? That's the only thing I can remember. That was literally the only song on that soundtrack, which made me go, "What the fuck is that? That sounds Scottish." And I had to had to explore more. And I did love this album when it first came out. When I first heard it, I was like, "This is a great record." I mean, but I I just. Time hasn't been kind to all, a lot of it. All man. you can imagine is that kids buying FIFA 2018, if it happens, might be treated to Twin Atlantic. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> I think your mic's cut out there, guys. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're not talking about Twin Atlantic, we're talking about the <laughs> Wild. Uh, is there anything else you, anything else you want to add? Anybody? I mean, I, I just kind of get the feeling that, you know, obviously for the reason of the anniversary, we had to put this forward. But it's pretty clear that the classic Idlewild album this is, is hundred broken windows. Yeah. I mean, there's the really there's no contest, and you know, I'm, you could probably ask my mum that, and she'd probably tell you. I mean, that is like, and you know, they but don't. No way, it's a bad album. It's oh not no, not album. at all. It's not a bad album, no. But they they don't they don't. Uh, uh, there was an interesting article in, in the Guardian. I see they Roddy, who seems to be you know, uh, interchangeable with they, but um, he was asked about his uh, the about the Idlewild albums to put them in order. He, he put him. By the way, he put Hope's Important last, and uh, he put their was the fifth or sixth album first, which obviously I suppose you do if you're doing a promotional tour. Like I feel now we're writing as well. I've yet we? to see a band that haven't just done their <laughs> albums in reverse chronological order. <laughs> against me, did against uh, Lords and Grace did that. She put like their latest album like fourth or fifth. Oh really? Actually, yeah. oh, see, and she yeah. put. I think, she, I think she put first like their first album. Yeah, she was like, I had no idea. It's very I was. rare though, because I think Converge just recently did it. And it was um, in order. I remember, I mean, Biffy Clyro did it in order. And yeah. they've, they've got some real classics too, don't they? <laughs> they have, they have They're some. They're out there flying the flag. They'll be in FIFA. 
Definitely. They, they will definitely well, be in FIFA. They'll be in FIFA as Kenny Miller is banging one in the top corner against you just to compound the pleasure. I'm fairly certain <laughs> the captain was in a FIFA game. The captain? The, cap, the song the captain. What is that? Uh, is that a Biffy Clyro song? Yeah. The one I'm with the I boots must, and the clapping. I must have missed that one. The boots and the clapping. Aye. You can't even miss it. <laughs> I, I thought there was clapping in every Biffy Clyro song, man. Only from like the third album one. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I, I, I mean, we're gonna, we're obviously gonna have to touch on this at some point, and that's gonna be a long night. So, yeah, <laughs> is this album important musically for Scotland? Do you think? I wouldn't ask us about any album, but since we're Scottish, well, I think we should address actually. It. Can I can I throw something in here as well before we get to this point, right? So you guys know about the kind of the whole Berenstein Bears yes. phenomenon, yes. But about the phenomenon yeah. of how the spelling of the word, uh-huh. you know this. I no alternate <laughs> alternate universe, thing. right? So there's this there's this like it's obviously like conspiracy theory. It's pure info wars, right? But basically, there's this thing called the Berenstein Bears effect, mm-hmm. which is that the Berenstein Stein Bears is actually spelt Berenstein Bears, yeah. but everybody remembers from their childhood it being spelled a different way, yeah, and so okay. there's this there's this idea that uh, you know obviously we're, there's there's been some kind of moment where like reality's been flipped or the matrix was switched on and they got a detail wrong and yeah. all this kind of garbage here, right? So I'm I'm having a Berenstein Bears effect moment with Idlewell being on Saturday Night Live. So and, and I looked this up and I could not find it. And I could have sworn that I when I was younger, I was blown away because Idlewell during that I think it was during that Pearl Jam tour, um, maybe even with American English, ended up on one of the big American talk shows. I thought or or Late night shows I thought it was Saturday Night Live But See and I can't find any evidence That this happened now um, I've not seen anybody That might know Well it's interesting Because maybe I could have just made this up On the back of what you just said But Before we started recording I said I've had this I've had American English Stuck in my head for A couple of days And I decided to try and learn How to play in guitar In order to do that um, I looked on YouTube To see any yeah. live versions of it And there's definitely them Playing it on an American talk show Can't tell you which one Right but it's not Saturday Night Live. I think it might be something like Letterman. Probably not Letterman, but something yeah. like so, that. So I, I, I can recall this, but then the other day I was going crazy. I don't know what's going on with the algorithms <laughs> in my computer. I have no idea what the Russians are trying to accomplish, but <laughs> uh, I absolutely could not find it. And it was, I was just tearing my hair out. Like, it really, really frustrated me. But yeah, if if that happened and you have indeed set up social media, I hope somebody might actually send us a link because I would like the closure. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so should we sum up then? <laughs> the next one. Yeah, is this important? Yeah, I mean, the, there's a lot of like, I, I could be really dismissive. There's there's a lot. Please of, be dismissive because I think maybe we think the same thing. Yeah. There's a lot of like whimsical, forgettable, chuchtery indie rock bands that came from it, and probably I would say a few really good bands that came from the the kind of power pop power rock side of it. I mean, I never really mentioned, like I said, um, out of routine. I think that's an absolute beast of a tune it's a bit overproduced but it's a tune with like a good verse a great pre-chorus and then a great chorus and i love any song that steps up three times are very feeder on that like very yeah there's like that kind of like feeder everclear sort of saturated cheesy thing but it's a really great song and i think there was a few bands came out of that that uh probably owe a bit to that Mm -hmm. and it was a breakthrough album in terms of profile um i just feel like it didn't date as well as the one before it you know it, it 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 Made a splash. I think it got to number three when it charted, um, but uh, it it made a splash definitely, and it brought it brought attention to Scotland. And you know, any Scottish band that breaks out tends to encourage a load of other Scottish bands behind it to just rip them off mercilessly. 
but from that you tend to get a few good ones. So yeah, it's probably had an effect. But I don't think there's any denying that Hundred Broken Windows has surely, surely we're not so out of touch with the 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 general consensus here. But I think Hundred Broken Windows seems head and shoulders like the more important and just more artistically accomplished uh, piece of work. Viva. Seconded. Wow. Well spoken. We hope you agree. Go and vote on Facebook. On the next episode, we're going to talk Jane about Doe. Jane Doe. Converge. Bike and Verge. Great. Yeah. Tune in for that. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.